Good morning. You know, as Jake said, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, I've been, the Lord began to put this series on my heart actually many, many months ago uh, about, uh, and we're titling it Go, and I'll explain what that means and, and where we're going. But I, I, I want you to, to know that there's, because this has been something stirring in my heart, I feel sort of effervescent. I feel empowered. I feel like I've been stuffing some of this message inside of me, wanting and waiting for the opportunity to give it. So let me just sort of ask your permission to be able to just speak frankly and directly. Do I have your permission to do that? Yes. Good. I mean, it doesn't matter. I was going to do that anyway, but I was just, it's sort of, at least I know some of you are willing to let me do that. The, um, the, the important thing for you to recognize as we get started is that this series, which will actually go through to around Easter time, this series isn't just to provide some biblical truth. It's not simply to bring some information to your attention. But the, the goal of this series, the, the, the desire that I have and the other pastors have in our hearts is that this series will, series will really change culture. And, and I'm not talking about the culture of the United States. I'm speaking about the culture, the, the way we live personally, how we live our lives together in our families, how we live our lives when we go to work, how we, we live our lives as, as a, a church family. My, my desire is that the way we live, our, our culture, really gets tweaked, gets adjusted, because we can gain, hopefully, a, a different perspective on how we view life, how we view God, how we view our role as his children. Now, lately, and if you are, uh, read and watch news programs, one of the, the focus, uh, foci of this last year in, in many magazines and many articles that I've been reading has been on the, the decline of spirituality in America. And they, are, they have focused in, in many articles I've read about how uh, there's been such an incredible decline really over the last number of decades on church attendance in the United States. And indeed, there's been a huge decline. It, it, it grows by well over 10% per year, the decline of church attendance in the United States. In, in denominational churches, it's, it's up at 40% of a, a decline. And they, there are a lot of different, in most of these articles, they'll give their opinion as to why that's occurring, and I'm not going to get off on, on their opinions because they're wrong. The, uh, they really are, you know, because it usually has, well, I'm not even going to get into that. That's another series, another time. What I do want to uh, bring out, which is what I'm convinced is, is the, the true cause of the decline really, for the most part, falls squarely on the church. And, and I believe firmly that the reason for this drift outside and, and away from church, and, and so many people saying, you know, I still believe in God, I still, I still you know, have a, a sense of spirituality, 
It's I just don't want to do it within the in the within the context of the of the church. I, I still am going to walk with Jesus, but I'm going to do it outside the church. I think the reason for that that drift and that that loss is because there's been a enormous decline in any sense of personal mission or personal calling. We see the same thing happened in, in Europe decades ago. Europe, which used to be a strongly spiritual continent, now is extremely secularized with just a small, small percentage of citizens in Europe and any of the European countries attending church or seeing any value in, in, in having any kind of spirituality. It's become a, a secularized continent and we see the drift take place there and I think the United States now is at the front end of the drift and I, I believe part of the reason is because churches in, their, in our attempt to become attractive have gutted what makes the gathering together and the, the functioning as God's children most attractive and that is that we are called by God, that he's designed us for, for purposes, that we have individually and corporately that there is a mission that, that has been given to us. You know, there is a story that I heard years ago, and the Lord just reminded me of it when I was sitting there during worship. Uh, when when St. Paul's Cathedral in, in London was being built, and it was built over, I forget how many, how many uh, uh, decades, many, many decades to build this huge, enormous, gorgeous uh, cathedral, there is, there is a stonemason who had worked on this cathedral from the, from the very beginning. From the first day, he was there making and setting the bricks in place. This cathedral is designed by Sir Christopher Wren, a very famous designer and architect. And, and at the end of the, 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 uh, the building of St. Paul's, someone came up to him and said, how did you sustain the, the ability to for decade after decade after decade just continue to lay one stone on another stone. You did that week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. Didn't it just grow monotonous? And he said, well, I, I didn't see it that way. He said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build this cathedral. He had a sense of a purpose, he, and he was not just, just doing it for himself. He wasn't just doing it for a paycheck, but he saw himself partnering with this enormously famous, famous at that time in, in, in all the world, and certainly in, in England, he was doing it alongside of Sir Christopher Wren. He had a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a, a vision. It was more than just being a bricklayer. And I believe the church has, has been gutted by our own doing in an attempt to become more and more palatable to those who we want to begin to, to, to gather, that we want to invite to be part of what God's doing within the church and here on earth. We've tried to become so palatable and, and lowered the bar so much that there's no longer a sense of, of purpose and mission. 
you know, all you have to do is just come to church and you can just, you know, we have our 45-minute service and, and you don't, we're, we're not going to preach at you. We're going to just sort of share stories and we're, we're not going to challenge you. We're just going to, we're, you know, we're just going to sort of have fun together and we have programs for anybody. It doesn't matter what your interest is. We'll have a program for you that you'll enjoy. We've lowered the bar thinking that that's going to make us more attractive, but we've lost this the, the essence of what makes the, the Christian life truly full and satisfying, and that is the understanding that we get to individually and together take on the, the ministry and the mission of Jesus. We get to, to do what he did by his power and by his grace. The, the scriptures say, where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, where the, the people are unrestrained. When there's a loss of vision, when there's a loss of, of where are we going individually, where are we going as a, a family or as a church family, when there's a loss of vision, then all of a sudden, that which motivates, that which gives passion to life and life together begins to drain and, and our hearts scatter. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, there is, we, we become unrestrained because we go out and look for what will give purpose and meaning to, to my life. You see, God created us for mission. God created us with a, with a God-shaped void, not only wanting relationship with him, but wanting to feel that our life means something, that our life can be used here, that we're not just biding our time. And when that sense of mission is gone, that part of us in our inner core that cries out for purpose just begins to, to die, begins to fade. You see, God created us in his image. We're image bearers of God. And part of the image of God that he's placed in us individually and corporately together, part of that image is that there is something here to do that has great value, that has great importance, that has great significance. And if we wake up in the morning thinking that I'm just making a few more bricks and piling, piling them on one on top of another, who can, who can sustain that kind of a motivation? or that lack of motivation. But if we wake up in the mornings realizing there's a purpose in this day, there's a purpose in my life, there's a direction that God has called me, he has instructions and can direct my day, then each day, each month, each year, each decade takes on tremendous significance. We are image bearers of God, and part of that image that we bear, that we reflect, is that we have mission. We have a sense of a purpose. We are called to go somewhere. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see this played out in the account of the creation. When he created man, when he created Adam and Eve, he said right at the beginning that I want you to 
be fruitful, multiply, and rule and subdue the earth. And he wasn't talking about for our own benefit, we get to be in charge, we get to do whatever we want with the earth. That wasn't what he meant by rule and subdue. What he meant is I I am calling my, my creation, my children, I'm calling them to rule, to bring order to this earth. Essentially, I'm calling for, for mankind to bring the good purposes of God's, pur- of God's intention, to bring God's kingdom, his reign and, and his rule from heaven to earth. Now, you've heard me talk about the kingdom of God a lot, just simply because it's the most important concept that, the whole, that will help you to make sense of this book. The kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is God's reign, his right to rule, his right to bring his, his good purposes into that which he owns. And when Adam and Eve were told to, to subdue this earth... It wasn't something that simply was up to them. He was saying, you get to bring my good order, my will, my kind intentions, my mercy, my grace, my justice. You get to bring it from heaven to earth. That's that's the mission that they were given. But of course, we read in, in a few chapters later, in chapter 3 of Genesis, how that mission... That sense of purpose was forfeited. You know, Satan comes along, he begins to bring temptation, and, and Adam and Eve, instead of saying, no, we are here for a purpose, they thought, well, maybe God's purposes for our lives aren't going to really satisfy, so they chose to pursue what they thought would be valuable. And because of their sin, a few things happened. One is that they they had fractured their relationship with God, that connection to, with God where they were able to walk with God and talk with God and listen and hear God and walk in his ways, that relationship was fractured. The, the consequence of sin, according to what Jesus taught, what the Bible says, is death. It's spiritual separation and, and physical death. But more than that, in addition to that, because of sin, not only was there a loss of relationship, but there was a forfeiture of the purpose, the mission that we were given. No longer were Adam and Eve able to, to bring God's order, his kingdom, his, his reign and his rule into the world. In fact, the scriptures spoke of Satan having taken hold and becoming the ruler of this world. There was a break, there was a hijacking, there was a a forfeiture of mission and purpose. For the most part, from chapter 3 of Genesis through to chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, everything we read about in the scriptures is about God's attempt and his activity to restore what was lost in the garden. Not just to restore right relationship with him, but to restore to us a purpose and a mission 
that gives meaning to our lives. Jesus came to earth, we could say, for, for two primary purposes. He drew near what we just celebrated in the, in the, uh, the Advent, in the, in the birth of Christ. He came near, he came to earth to rescue us from the consequences of sin. But he's also come in order to restore us to what is rightfully ours, to restore mission and to bring his kingdom, his, what does kingdom mean? The rule and the reign of God. He came to reestablish his reign and his rule as the king of the universe to earth. So God's will would be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. So from the moment that Jesus came to earth, we see a perpetual, increasing, slicing in of God's will, God's purposes, God's restoration from heaven to earth, which will culminate when he returns at the second coming, but we get to participate in this life and taking handfuls of heaven, bringing the reality of his, his intentions to this earth. We get to participate in that mission. But when Jesus came to earth, when he began his earthly ministry, we see him at one point, he comes into the temple and essentially, in reading out of the book of Isaiah, he describes and declares what his commission is, what his mission is, what his job description is. He comes into the temple, and we read about it in Luke chapter 4. In verse 18, he has opened up the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to the poor spiritually, to the poor physically, to the poor emotionally, to the poor monetarily. He's given me, uh, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, those who are in bondage, he's, and recovery of sight to the blind, to restore health and physical well-being, and, as, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus came with, with a clear purpose, with a clear mission in mind. He didn't come just to check out what it would be like to be a human being. He didn't come just to, to walk around and, you know, I, I've always wanted to go to Disneyland. He came with a mission, he came with a purpose, and he declared what that mission, what that purpose and ministry was right from the beginning. And then he went out for the next three years and did that mission. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He, he cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. The kingdom of God was slicing in. There's a restoration, a restoring of what was lost. But it, it didn't just simply end there because of part of God's purpose, part of God's intention 
was not just to do the ministry himself. At a certain point, he went and he was walking down the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He sees these guys fishing, James, John, Peter, Andrew. And he says, you guys, come follow me. And he wasn't just asking them to, to take a stroll that afternoon. They, they understood what was going on. Jesus was a rabbi. And like, like most every rabbi in the first century, they would, they would gather to themselves a, a school of discipleship. They would gather individuals, they were called disciples, who would live with that rabbi, who would, who would watch what he does and how he does it, who would be followers, learners, and imitators. So when Jesus said to those fishermen, or when he went up to Matthew, a tax gatherer, at his table and said, come, follow me, they were more than willing to leave their nets, to leave the table, to leave their former jobs because they knew what it meant is, is this rabbi was asking me to watch and to learn what he does and to eventually become an imitator of who and what he does. And indeed, the disciples of rabbis in the first century, they would scrutinize every movement, every, every nuance in, in, a, in their rabbi's life. They would listen to their inflection in their voice, and they would imitate their rabbis because they understood that eventually we are going to carry on what this rabbi has begun in his life and his ministry. And we're going we're to be rabbis to others, teachers, demonstrators to others. See, Jesus came not just to do the ministry himself and fix everything himself, but he came to hand his ministry on to disciples. But it didn't stop with those 12. Some time later, people have begun to, to listen and watch and follow Jesus beyond the 12. And at a certain point, he, he gathered about 72, it says 72 of those followers. Some maybe had followed him day and night for, for months and months. Others maybe for shorter times. He gathered them all together and listened to what he says to them. Having first given the baton to the 12, now he says to the 72, well, I skipped something. Let me read what he said to the, to the 12. This is important. Look in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. He says to the 12, come follow me. But then he says, and as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven, what, what's, what's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? His rule and his reign. The kingdom of God, my reign, my rule has come near. And he tells them to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. He says, freely you've received, now freely give. And then again, he says, go, and I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. In other words, the world isn't going to cooperate with what 
you have because you're bringing my purposes and allowing my purposes to take hold in the earth. So now he has the 72 gathered together. What does he say to them in Luke chapter 10? He says to them, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm sure, again, that lifted their spirits greatly. Verse 9, he says, go heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? The reign and the rule of God. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Why had the kingdom of God come near? Because the king had come near. The king had stepped off his throne in heaven and walked among us. So he's passed the baton now onto the to 72. He says, now you go out. I want you to go into the villages and do what you saw me doing. So they go into the villages and verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with, with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, the ruler of this world, the one who, who mankind forfeited the right to rule under God's ultimate lordship, the, the one who mankind forfeited his mission to, he began to lose his, his control, his grip. And Jesus said, as you began to, to do my ministry, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons, to show my mercy, as you began to do that, the, the sovereign control that Satan has began to crumble. He began to restore the mission to his children, to his people. He was giving away his ministry to his followers. He wanted those who followed after him, who gave their allegiance to him, to do his ministry. And it didn't stop there either. Because at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he, he goes and gathers all those who had following him, the 12 and the 72 and, and anyone else who was there, probably hundreds and hundreds, and listen to what he said to them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, all, the, all those who were following him. This was after the, the, his death and burial and resurrection. This was the last, the last words he said before he arose back into heaven. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Well, he's the king. Of course it is. Therefore, go and make church attenders. Therefore, go and make programs. What do you say? Go and make disciples of all nations. Learners, followers, and imitators. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
those that you gather as disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And be assured, surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he said to all that had begun to follow him, now you go and make disciples. You have a mission. Do the very thing that you've seen me do. He's handed the baton first to the 12, then to the 72, and now the baton goes to, to those disciples in the first century. And he said, you do what I've done. And part of that was make disciples. So the disciples there in the first century began to spread and read the book of Acts. They began to, to not just get people to pray a prayer, they began to gather people who were willing to take on the ministry of Jesus. And those people in the first century handed it down to the second century and to the third century, and here we are in the 21st century. And the baton is in our hands. It's been given to us. We are people with purpose. We have a mission. And our job description, our mission or a commission along with Jesus is to go and make disciples to gather people and not just say come and, and know him and find forgiveness of sins and freedom for the, for the penalty of your sin but you can be rescued to your rightful role here on earth that you now can take on the ministry of Jesus, bringing his kingdom, his reign, his rule from heaven to earth. That's our commission. So what's the method that God has used to, to rescue and to, to restore? Well, it can be described with two words. I talked about one of them on, on Christmas Eve. Come. God invites those who he's created to come close, to know him, to, to receive him, to see him, to have a relationship with him. But it doesn't stop there because the second word, which is just as important, maybe more important, is to come and to go. To go and do this mission, to do this ministry. And it's not that we come, pray a prayer, and then we go and, and, and do the stuff. But it's a continual flow. Coming and going is, is the flow of God's kingdom. Where we come and be filled up. We come and, and be known and know him. And we go and we come and we go and we come and we go with that mission that has been handed to us. And the failure, the decline of the Western church is directly connected to the incomplete understanding of this principle. See, the church understands pretty well the call to come. The church, to a reasonable degree, the church in the Western Western world knows how to, to bring people to Jesus, how to, to, to convey the, the gospel message that our sins are forgiven. We, we understand how to call people to come to Jesus 
fairly well. But we've either neglected, ignored, or are confused about the call to go. The mission. And then we wonder why our Christian life becomes kind of dry or dull or lifeless. But that's the natural result of living for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years with no sense of calling, no sense of mission. You know, we, we think the go is, you know, go and stay busy until I return. You know, go and keep out of trouble. Go and, and build church buildings. Go and, and start programs. And I, I have no problem with church programs or church buildings. I happen to like church buildings. But that's not what we're called to do. Ultimately, we're called to go and make disciples. Go and do the ministry of Jesus. And that's what gives life. And without that understanding, not only does our Christian life become dull and, and lifeless, the other possibility and likelihood is we become legalists, become, become pharisaical. All we're about is learning more and more information. All we become given to is wagging our fingers at the people who don't know what we know. Rather than realizing, oh no, the normal Christian life is so much more than information. And, and being among the elite, but we get to issue the invitation to others. Say, you get to come to know him, and you get to have purpose and meaning. We are called to be disciple makers. And that's what this, this series is going to be about. So, so how did Jesus fulfill this, this mission? What, what was his method? Well, we've already talked about the call to come and the call to go. Just that it continues to flow. Beyond that, we can, we can say he, the method to Jesus' ministry was with seeing and hearing. L listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He was being attacked because he was healing people on the Sabbath. Shame on him. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, when they were challenging him, and challenging him about this healing on the Sabbath and discussing it with him, Jesus gave this answer. He said, Very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You see, Jesus said, I'm not here just to do whatever pleases me. Jesus said, I'm here with a mission. I, I, I live my life here on earth by keeping an eye on what the Father's doing. I'm watching to what the Father's doing. And when I see his purposes, I take that handful of his purpose and bring him from heaven to earth. When Jesus saw the woman who, who came to draw water from the well, when, when Jesus had, he had sent his disciples in because he was tired and he stayed back at the well and he sees this woman in the middle of the day in the, the heat of the sun come to the well to draw water, I'm sure he, he would have preferred just to kick back and rest 
little time under the palm tree, but he had a, an eye on what the Father was doing. And he saw with those spiritual eyes, the Father's got something here. And he engaged that woman in conversation. And her life was turned upside down. He watched for what the Father was doing. And then he did it. Because he was here with a mission. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, By myself I can do nothing, but I judge Literally, he means I, uh, I, I make decisions, I make determinations, come to, 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 to decisions on what I should say and do. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but to the one who has sent me. Jesus not only was watching what the Father was doing, he was listening, listening to what the Father was saying. So as the father spoke to him, he responded accordingly. You know, when he was talking to this rich young ruler who, who put his whole life and confidence in his money, he was engaged in conversation. And Father, what, what are you saying? What are you wanting to do in this man's life? And he, he turned and said, you need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. But when he talked to other individuals like Matthew, who was a tax gatherer and wealthy, or Zacchaeus, he didn't ask them to give anything to the poor. Zacchaeus did it on his own, but that wasn't his message because he wasn't just living by some principle. He was listening to the Father and then doing the Father's business, seeing and hearing. And beyond seeing and hearing as the method of Jesus' ministry, he also was telling the truth. I mean, he taught those disciples, but he was also being truth. You see, disciples are not primarily made through classes and lectures. Disciples are primarily made through being given example, and immersion. Disciples in the first century watched Jesus, and then Jesus said, now it's your turn. You go and do it. And they had to they had go through times of failing miserably before they, they understood how to rely on the Holy Spirit. And it's no different, no different for us. We are not just made disciples by knowing truth, by hearing truth, by going to classes, and they're valuable, but it's by it being immersed, by doing this stuff, by being given opportunity to do the ministry of Jesus, to take on his mission. And I believe, as I said earlier, when that opportunity is not given, the result is people drift. Where there is no vision, the people perish. They're unrestrained. And the decline in the church, I believe, is because we have not understood this call to mission and ministry. It's not the mission and the ministry of the church. 
It's not the mission and the ministry of the clergy in the church or the pastors or, or leaders. It's Jesus' mission and ministry that he has given to everyone according to our specific gifts and design and abilities. And each one of you have a call on your life, have abilities in your life, have opportunities in your life to do his ministry in the context in which you live your life. Jesus taught the disciples truth. He told them what truth is. He modeled that truth. He lived it out in front of them. And then he gave them the opportunity. And as I said, the Western church has been very good in telling truth, teaching truth. But we perhaps have forgot the imperative of being truth, of, of giving away ministry. Disciples are made from life on life. Not just from reading and listening. It's from having our lives woven together and being given the opportunity, encouraged to take the opportunity to do the works of Jesus. And the church has done so much within the church's context through programs, and that's all good. But we have neglected, to some degree, life on life outside the church, where we get to bring his purposes and his plans and his kind intentions to any place where our foot falls, whether it's at work, in school, in our neighborhoods, in the grocery store, at a doctor's office. We get to, we get to do his ministry as his disciples wherever we go. See, doing the ministry of Jesus, when we see it, living with purpose and mission Grab something from within. When I talk to, when I hear and observe individuals who are taking that opportunity, man, it's something inside of me that says, I, I, I want to get to do this stuff. According to my gifts, my temperament, my abilities, different ways and, and differently than maybe somebody else does. But I want to I get into the game. It grabs something. I, I got an email th this week from, from Greg. There's Greg. I loved this email. Let me just tell the story briefly. And Greg was at Walmart, and he was looking for uh, some items, and he couldn't find it, and there was no one there waiting on him, and he, a little frustrated, and he was just standing there. I'm going to wait till some employee comes in and helps me out. And meantime, he sees this other gentleman walking down the, uh, an aisle near him, and, and, and he, he, he engaged in conversation, just sort of felt that nudge from God, you know, listening, seeing what God's doing. Engaged conversation, comes to find out this other, this other fellow, he, he was homeless. He was living in a tent with his fiancée, they, and he had come into Walmart because he needed to, to get uh, some apparatus for a propane tank so he can heat the tent where they were living. And Greg, you know, sort of helped the guy find that stuff. And then again, God nudged Greg 
and, and Greg just knew, God, you want me to buy this for him? So Greg goes ahead, hearing the guy's story, buys the, buys the, uh, the tubes and the connectors and all that for the guy. The guy is overjoyed. The guy explains to him, you know, I, I came into the store I had with no money. I, I intended to just probably steal it, but I prayed before I came in that God would somehow prevent me from having to steal it. And here's Greg, just, just trying to be available and listening and seeing what the Father's doing, who ended up being able to bring the very purposes, the ministry of Jesus, into that moment. Had a profound effect on this other fellow and his fiance. Had a profound effect on Greg. Had a profound effect on me. Because it called out something within me who says, oh, I love that. I want to get into the, into the game as well. You know, there are so many here today. I, ju I just look around. You know, I, I, you know I, I see Anne, who uses her time and works at Pregnancy Resource Center just because she wants to be in the game. Or, or Benita, who, who's been, how many times have you been to China carrying Bibles in? You know, bringing Bibles into China on short-term mission trips. Jim and Joanne, where are you guys? I saw you here earlier. There's Jim and Joanne. Jim and Joanne, who, they're retired. And what do they do in retirement? They go down and live in Brazil for, what, three or four months? And, and just serve down there. Because they want to get in on the game. They want to do the ministry of Jesus. And it creates something in them that gives a sense of purpose and meaning. And it creates something in those who observe them, who say, I, I want to be imitators. That's what discipleship looks like. Ministry certainly takes place within the church, but ministry takes place outside the church. It takes place where we live and walk and in our communities and our neighborhoods. And that's what this series called Go is about. How can we get into the game? How can we begin to do the ministry of Jesus? Because we are created for mission. We come and then we go. And we are wanting to create a missional culture in the church where we begin to just think and function like disciples. And, and disciples do his ministry. They're watching and listening. And what do disciples do also? They make other disciples. They say, hey, you want, you want to do this with me? I mean, how, how, did, how did Jim first get the idea of, of going to Brazil? Because Michael, I think it was Michael, said, hey, Jim, why don't you come to Brazil with me with a, a short-term mission team? How, how do most of us get involved in, in God's missional pursuits and his ministry? Because someone made room for us. Someone said, hey, why don't you do it with me? And some of the things that we do are outward and, and <laughs> work great with extroverts. And some of the things we can do are, work great with introverts. You know, some of us, because of our gifts and our callings, get to do things behind the scenes as we participate with Jesus' ministry. And it can be done by baking cakes. It can be done by an encouragement. It can be done by a pat on the back. It can be done by articulating the truth. It could be done 
in variety of ways. But the most important thing is that we understand that we are called to mission and that Jesus' ministry gets done. So in the, in the weeks to come, in this series, we're going to discuss the going aspect of this kingdom call, the expressions and the context where we can take on our part of his ministry. We're going to be talking about building relational bridges to others, one-on-one connections. We're going to be talking about church planting because church planting is a way where the gospel and the truth and discipleship can take place. We're going to talk about world missions. We're going to talk about just serving others, doing random acts of kindness. It's just part of our culture, part of our lifestyle. We're going to be talking about social action, about standing up for those who are oppressed, standing up for those who have no voice. We're going to talk about ways that we can take hold of what is rightfully ours. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand up? Here's how I want to finish up today. God has given us this privilege and responsibility to do his ministry. The the torch, the baton has been passed on to us. Now it's our turn to be disciples and to make disciples. And and what I'm going to simply do is I'm, I'm going to just invite people to come to the front just as an outward sign of just saying, Jesus, here I am, use me. You may not know, you probably won't know, you certainly won't know all the ways that God may want to use you, but that's okay. All we're saying to him regularly is, here I am, Lord. I want to be available. I want to be available to to sense that that slightest nudge like Greg did. I want to be available to, to get into the game. Direct me, but I am saying, here I am. Use me. So join me. Just come to the front. Let that be an outward sign of your surrender to this, this mission, the ministry of Jesus. I, I know there are people here today also who, who need prayer. And so how I want to work it is if you need prayer, I'm going to ask that you be on, on the, in front of the, the side chairs. And let's make sure everyone who comes up and stands in front of those side groups of chairs gets someone praying for them. Those who are just here, just to give your life and surrender your life to God, just stand in the center here and let that be an outward sign of saying, I'm surrendered to your purposes. Lead me into them. Does that make sense? Those who need prayer, stand on the sides. Make sure everyone who stands on the sides gets prayer. Those who want to just surrender this morning to Jesus. Just stand right in the middle. Let's co- Why don't you come forward? Again, if you need prayer, physical, spiritual, whatever you need prayer for, stand over on the sides. Let's make sure everyone who's standing on the sides 
us and we're praying for them. Here we are, Father. We just surrender to you today. Come and have your way with us. Sing, I'll stand. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all I am is yours. All Father, that's our, that's our heart this morning. Make that true. All that we are, all that we have, all that we are created to be, we just surrender to you this morning. Father, come and take hold of our lives. Walk us into your purposes. Father, we, we've come to you Lord, we want to be sent out to you. We want to be used by you. Lord, I, I pray that as we, as we go to work, as we go to a restaurant, as we go grocery shopping, as we walk down the, the sidewalk in our neighborhood, that you just be tapping us on the shoulder, showing us opportunities, whether it be to, to, to bake a cake shovel a driveway someday to encourage to pray for another Lord we just want to be available to you use us Jesus capture us draw us into your purposes draw us into your ministry What a privilege. What a responsibility that we can be called children of God. And as your children, you've made us a, a kingdom of priests, those who can take on your ministry, do your ministry. Here we are, Father, individually. Here we are at representing families and, and roommates. Here we are as a church family. Lord, just take us like seeds and, and fling us out into the harvest that according to our design, we could be men and women with purpose, with meaning. So we say yes to you. 
Have your way with us, Jesus. And bless your name. And all of God's people said, Amen. So folks, go and be disciples. Go and make disciples. Invite others to do what you are called to do.